It is Friday, uh, July 3rd, and this is the Morning Brushback, episode 37, the aftermath of our uh, hitting Twitter episode, which if you didn't catch, I highly recommend you go back and check that out. Robert, how are things in Chicago? Sunny, it looks nice outside. It's 4th of July weekend. Yeah, what do you got going on this weekend? Absolutely nothing. Youth baseball. Watching a lot of youth baseball. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's baseball season, kind of. It's kind of baseball season. It's kind of, we're still not allowed to go to the beaches or have fun at places season. So, yeah, this is true. Uh, so, if you're out there, thanks for listening. Um, we are live on YouTube and Twitter. So, if you have a comment or you want to get in on our, our soon to be had recap of the Jeff Fry uh, Rich conversation, um, feel free to throw something out there. I'll be checking YouTube. Bobby will be checking uh, the Periscope comments. So if you see us looking down at our phones, that's kind of what we're doing. And then um, we're going to talk a little bit about college baseball today. I had an interesting, like a little just brief tweet conversation about D3 draft picks, which I think is worth mentioning. Uh, we're also going to talk about high fastballs and we got some other stuff on the agenda today. But first, Bob, since my 4th of July plans are they're quick, I'm just going to see my family for the first time in a while. But, uh, which is great, but let's go to the recap of our previous podcast. What are your takeaways before I give you mine? I thought, well, first of all, everyone on Twitter is like, this is a, this isn't a, this is a bad debate. It wasn't a debate. It was a hitting discussion and it was two guys who have two totally different views on hitting. So if you took it as like a, as a debate, you know, that expert summit type debate that Dan won a couple weeks ago where you're given a question and you have to stay on point and, and argue your point, like that's never what it was going to be. Because if we did that and it was mechanics, Rich had everything lined up. And if we were doing approach, Jeff, Jeff had uh, his side of approach. So it was never, a, it was never a debate. It was just a hitting discussion. That being said, Discussion got a little heated early with in personal personal shots. Um, I don't know. It's tough to it's tough to pinpoint takeaways. I mean, I think they both kind of how you pointed out at the end stayed in their lane uh, about what they like to talk about, which is mechanics for Rich and uh, just approach and kind of I don't, I don't know if it's all approach but mindset and just how you play the game on Jeff's side. Yeah, so uh, if you weren't in in the aftermath on Twitter, there was just a like a community of conversation, like two hundred new people followed us. Uh, it was it was really interesting, and the vast majority of the comments were just like about it, not really about Bobby or I. There's a lot of thankful comments, which was nice. Uh, they thought we did a good job, whatever. And then there were a handful of people who said that we did a terrible job moderating. Uh, one idiot said that I had an agenda when I asked my Barry Bonds comment, which is just baffling as like an agenda. And then he said I should have been more impartial as a moderator. It's like, this is my podcast, you idiot. I'm, I'm moderating a conversation between two people that hate each other. So you could say, like I've said that I'm the moderator, but it's my podcast. I can say whatever I want, anytime I want. I can have all no. the agendas. What does that even mean, the agendas? Like, like this idiot sells uh, tea. He sells batting teas. He's like a company. 
which if you, if you had a product, if you had a product, Oh, I don't hate anyone. Um, he's just a very dumb human, but if you're selling a product, maybe uh, just like clean up your, uh, your act on your social media page, like saying very dumb things seems like not the way to go. Um, but anyway, so he's like, Oh, he's got an, he had an agenda. What agenda? Like, what, what does that even mean to, to get Barry Bonds like into the presidency? Like what, what does it even mean? You, I was you trying like Barry, to, I was trying like to press. I think, I mean, and if you listen to the conversation, like Barry Bonds is amazing. I have like, Barry Bonds is incredible. My point was that Barry Bonds was not incredible because of his swing. Hitters are not swings. Hitters are hitters. If you watch Barry Bonds, sure, maybe he has a little more time to wait and identify a pitch, but it's not that much more time than everyone else. Like, come on, they're all big leaguers. You're acting like he's got another half a second. And that even then, that doesn't tell you to not swing at a slider in the dirt. Like, your swing doesn't tell you that. You have a little more time, but it doesn't tell you. It's still experience. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I mean, hitters make these decisions. You use your brain. You're not just an autonomous swinging robot. That's just not how this works. It's just hard to quantify. It's hard to quantify how. Which Rich had zero as far as quantifying it. Zero. That's that's where you got. That's where you're getting bashed right on Twitter. The asking him to quantify something that's probably, I don't know if it's unquantifiable, but you can have an opinion on it, right? Like if I think that Barry Bonds is swing, is 50% of the reason he's Barry Bonds, like, say yeah, it. Back it up. You how, do you, how are you going to back that up? Yeah, it's just your opinion. I don't know if you can back it up, but it's, I can no, have So it's opinion. just your opinion, and if you don't like me pushing back on your opinion, that's really not well supported, then, okay, like, you cry about it, which is what he did, because after, twi- after the show, he blocked me on Twitter and then started calling me a moron on his Twitter page without giving, you know, I can't respond to it, which I didn't need to respond. I responded once on the morning brushback and just said, hey, grow up. Um, you know, sorry, you got challenged on a podcast, like, you know, whatever. Uh, it's just baffling. I mean, like, this is just a fascinating thing. And what's really interesting is that both of them go back and forth angrily at each other on the web. Jeff attacks people on the web on Twitter, um, as does Rich. So, like, you know, if they want to, like, exchange, like, hate towards each other, fine. I should have... I should have stopped the Judy stuff earlier. I didn't know he had that clown photo of Jeff, which was just embarrassing for Rich. Uh, and just like, just a, a, it's what a small person would do, you know, showing up with a clown photo of, of your counterpart. But, uh, you know, aside from all that, like, it was just such a weird spectacle. And Jeff, like, I like Jeff personally. I don't agree with the way he does things on Twitter. But like, Jeff's always been super respectful of me and you and yeah, like, a, like I could, I could hang out at a bar with Jeff, have some beers, talk baseball and we could be friends for sure. Rich has like the worst social skills of a uh, human I, that I know. So, I mean, it's, it's baffling and it was just a, such a strange thing. And what's like in the aftermath, it was like, we were, we were like TV political pundits just like people in all directions, like kind of not really coming at us that much, but coming at us a little when they didn't like, I guess what happened, which is just strange. It was good. It was good prep for me. Uh, when I run for mayor, just to, well, was it though to, to duck and dive those, those shots on Twitter? 
Yeah, Bobby, did you did did you did you adequately defend me from all the people? uh, You got you know the balls. Did you adequately defend me? The balls on Dan Blewett texted me and said he's like have my back, and I did, and I responded to yes, I did. We're going my feet. My feet is all backing. I'm pro Dan Blewett. I Except know, for man. that one guy. The one, you pr- the one you guy, pride yourself uh, on being an attack dog, but I feel like you went pretty soft defending your co-host. I'll, call, I'll log on today and I'll call everyone an asshat. <laughs> I mean, I don't doubt that. Um, <laughs> but you know. I, you're right. It was, it was just it, – I mean, it's part of the brand too, I think, with like Rich is definitely has a brand of, of going after swings, going after people on Twitter like – forcing them to defend, you know, what the, whatever they're saying about it, his teachings or their teachings or whatever, whatever, what have you. But it's, it was a, it was never going to be the conversation that everybody wanted where Rich talked about his mechanical thoughts and then Jeff responded on why it was wrong because Jeff admittedly didn't, he's like, I don't know what Rich teaches. I just see the drills and we never did that, that stuff. And I'm not going to, and in Jeff's opinion, he's like, I'm not going to push something like that to, to followers or people and say that's real, real baseball. Cause we didn't do that in his, his life, his life of real baseball in professional baseball, but it was never going to be that discussion about mechanics. Like Jeff was never going to give a mechanical breakdown of any of the best hitters in baseball or what they're doing. Cause that's not what he does. He taught like he, he talked about his own experience hitting in professional baseball, which was mainly approach, mainly like confident mindset and mm-hmm. being a, being a competitor. So yeah, what which, the conversation was never on the same plot. Like it was never on the same level. They were discussing yeah. two different things the whole time. Yeah. Which was the, which was the challenge of it. And people, I mean, the periscope and the YouTube comments were just like a constant flow of people just discussing hitting and asking us to try to like get certain. And we tried really hard to get, Hey Jeff, what hitting drills should kids do? And he just doesn't have them, which you and I both knew like this was, they yeah. weren't going to, like you said, they weren't going to argue the same thing. So yeah. And then the moderating questions, I mean, you can criticize me all you want. I could, I could care less on Twitter uh, about that stuff. Moderating. I'm not a professional moderator by any stretch. I'm not a professional interviewer. Like, well, here, well here's barely... the other thing that was funny about this is I don't really have an opinion on Rich's hitting. I listened the first time he was on our show. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like I see, like, I see, like, I kind of get what you were, what you're saying. Like, I don't have any pushback on that. Really? It just like the bonds thing. It's like, I don't like, I don't know how, like you can't separate bonds is what he did on the field from his swing. Like that's, what's hard to say. You know, does Mike Trout have the best swing ever just because he was the best player ever? I don't think those two exactly go together. And that was kind of my point. But like, as far as what Rich, Rich teaches, I don't have an opinion. Like, that was, what was so weird. It's like, I don't yeah. care. What, I don't care what you teach. Like, not at all. I don't think it's wrong. Like, I'm, I didn't, that's not any of it. Like, he, like when yeah. I asked him to slow it down and his tweet later was, he, 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 Dan denied that. I'm like, I don't know. I asked you to slow it down because the video was going one speed but you could make it half that speed and stop it and be like, Hey, this is the point I'm talking about. This is the point where they where the two swings are different. That was what I was asking him to do. But he's like, no, if you don't see it, then you don't get it. It's like, well, you could slow down and help, but okay, that's rude well, and weird, but and I don't it, have an opinion. Like I'm, I'm not a, a denier <laughs> of any hitting. I don't, I don't care about hitting. 
I just was right. like here. I was just like here for the, you know, whatever. I was just in the same parking lot. You guys. Well, were that's gonna, the that's the thing too. It's like you don't. You're you're the audience essentially. Like I understand. Yeah, I, like I'm just as if I have some agenda. Like I have no agenda. Like, but that's care. the thing is you were you're the audience of the ninety five percent of how I, I I toss in at the end of the podcast where there's Twitter is mainly parents that want to help their kids or players that are trying to figure it out for themselves and help themselves. Yeah, so and I know they're, if, they're as a not hitting guy. Yeah, as yeah. a not a not a hitting guy. If something's not clear to me, it's certainly not clear to many other people. Like I've been in the game a long time and I understand what a good swing looks like and I understand this stuff. I certainly don't try or can't teach one. But like I understand a lot about baseball and if I don't understand something, there's definitely 13-year-olds that don't understand it. So I was trying to clarify for them. I feel like that was my role. Um, but apparently that's a really offensive thing to do to ask someone to slow a video down. So, well, and the, I mean, yeah, just the, the moderating stuff in general, it's like, what do you want us to ask when it's my podcast, it's my podcast and I can ask what I want. That's my song. But people don't, they're neither one of them were answering the same question. So we can't, I mean, there was, yeah. And we tried to get, we, and we tried to get them to, (laughs) it was just wasn't easy. Like, and, and I don't know. I, mean, it was I really thought at weird. the end when I when I was trying to explain like there needs to be an overlap of what they both talk about that we'd get some kind of common ground or no. or like or like a maybe like a Frank Thomas. I threw a crack at Frank Thomas about <clears throat> being in a Blue Jays jersey. I thought we'd get a little like like hey kumbaya moments, and we did not. <laughs> so, and I get Rich's point. Rich is like, look, I don't teach approach. Totally, like that's totally fine. You only teach the swing, and Rich is like. I don't teach approach, so I'm not going to talk about it. Also, like Jeff, you don't really teach like a process for the swing. So why are you like bashing my process? That was, I think, Rich's overall point, which I don't like. That's valid, right? Yeah, no, um, it, was just, it just came off as and it came off like, differently. Like, from yeah, because Rich, he's he's Rich an angry. He's Jeff. a really angry person, so that's why. But um, anyway, it was uh, it was interesting. So, am I? Are you glad that we did it? Oh, I would do it again. <laughs> Why? I think we should do it every Tuesday, honestly. Just, uh, to well, see, no. just to see the fireworks. I mean, it was, you know, it's good because... The thing is, it the, didn't need to have... It didn't have fireworks, and it didn't need to have fireworks. Like, the only no, fireworks, quote-unquote, were they just, like, once in a while took jabs at each other, which they weren't really... They didn't, they didn't really contribute anything to the conversation. Like, it could have existed without them doing that, just the same. The the disappointing part was, I think at the end they kind of agreed that there needs to be an overlap of, of someone teaching a kid how to swing and approach, and that's what a lot of myself included. And I said this: if you're if you're teaching youth players, you can't like youth players can't have a swing coach who only teaches them the swing, and then they go to an approach coach and somebody that teaches them like how to be. Uh, mentally tough or a good baseball player like that guy is one and the same whether he knows both those things or not so can we give both can we give both sides to the people that are listening or to to the instructors and parents so they can help their kid and you know fix him a little bit mechanically and kind of give him an idea on what to do when he's actually in the box like what to swing at you know what kind of approach you try you're, you're what you're trying to do with the baseball like I think they both agree that you need, you probably need, maybe Rich agrees more than Jeff does that you need both. I think Jeff is more of your swing is your swing and like, let's make it work. 
but you need like you can't just stand up there and not swing the bat so you need to have some kind of a swing i mean he does reference hunter pence having having like a really ugly albeit success like a productive swing um hunter pence is great i mean he's like woody that was my comment during the show he's like woody from toy story just like the way he runs just like howdy 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 and he's just so good at baseball like he's a great example of not I mean, with hitting, it's weird because I feel like hitters' stances are, are less different than pitchers. Like, if you look at pitchers, and this was this was to one of their points, um, I think it was Rich's, was like when, when I go through an evaluation with kids, I always I like preface it by saying, hey, like, and I actually use cars, which is funny that Rich used a car analogy, which I thought was good. Um, like, hey, you know, every car has what? They all have brakes. They all have engines. They all have tires, right? but they look different, right? So right. We're, as we go through your mechanics, I'm going to like bring up some major leaguers and we're going to compare sort of, but you don't have to look like the major leaguers. You just have to do the big things. Like again, all cars have engines, all cars have tires. Uh, you have to do the big things, right? That every major leaguer does. And then you can look different than them, right? I think there's more variability in pitching mechanics probably than, than swing mechanics because the swing motion is just so short. Like you lift your leg up, you put it back down. And then the way major leaguers swing is all pretty similar right so but with pitching there's a lot more you're on one leg longer you're in the air longer there's a lot more places for arms and legs to go and uh more variability and and hunter pence seems like one who has more extremities flying than others whereas you you see do you see more pitchers who i think are as arms and legs e as hunter pence are rather than there's like not as many hunter pences no we got uh on periscope Asif jumps in. What's up, Asif? He says, neither one of them had any interest in having a dialogue, uh, regardless of how much you and I wanted to. And I don't think it was that. I think it just, I don't think either one of them was going to back down, especially after Jeff tried to extend like an olive branch to him in, early. And he's like, hey, like, I'm not going to call you names. Yeah. And and Rich did, Rich wasn't having it. So I think after that point, there was absolutely no dialogue that's going to be had. Um, and then Pat, Patty Maz. What's up, Patty? He actually tweeted at us uh, afterwards. Uh, I talked to him a few times. He said, young, he said, young age kids need a good swing and an approach of swinging to do damage and swinging at a good pitch. Like, agreed. Uh, that The thing is, like, what? so how do you get, like, a little kid or your, your 10-year-old son to have a good swing? And Rich was pulling up video, and he's showing, you know, what he believes are the absolutes of the swing, but not – you know, I don't, I don't know if I can give that to a 10 year old in that same verbiage and help him. I feel like I would just confuse him much like he was confusing either the listeners or Dan or, or anybody that well, doesn't like, have a hitting background. He was like, well, you need to get a bat and feel it. I'm like, I'm in a podcast right now. <laughs> if I yeah, well, what do you want me to do? Just, stand like, up and swing. just try, just try to help me like understand it digitally. Cause I'm not going to go get a bat right now. I'm doing a podcast. Yeah. But if Pat, I mean, Pat, his, his uh, comment is correct. Like, yeah, they need to just try, try and swing, hit the ball hard, like try and hit line drives, and then always, you know, get a strike, get a good pitch to hit. And it's funny that he says that because it's always interesting when I come across a young kid um, who's got, like, good plate discipline. Like, he has a good eye, which is – I don't know how you – I mean, other than being in the box and seeing thousands of pitches from a youth level, having a good eye is like a – is a rare thing. I think when you're a little kid, like you usually just swing at something you could probably reach. 
So it's always well, I, interesting to me when I see kids like that. Well, I, th- I feel like with this conversation of people were, tr- some people were trying to say that your swing is plate discipline, which is just absolutely false. However, we do know when you have a terrible swing, especially as a young kid, you have to commit your, like you, your weight's just really early. You commit to swinging way sooner than someone with a good swing. Like we know that, right? However, right. that's not to say that you have a good swing. that You can't just wave at a slider in the dirt, right? Or you just swing at a pitch that's three inches off the plate. That's still, there's still a conscious decision of this is a good pitch for me to swing at, or this is a bad pitch for me to swing at. That right. is not tied to your swing. That is a mental, that is a, a logical decision that you make. The pitch leaves their hand. You're saying, is this a fastball? Yes, no. If it's no, what is it? It's, is it a slider? Yes, no. Okay, no. Is it a changeup? Yes, it's a changeup, I think, based on the spin, because I've seen 11,000 changeups in my career. Right. This looks like a changeup. Your body says changeup. Then you say, okay, what's the trajectory? This is physics your brain's doing. What's the trajectory? I've seen 11,000 changeups. Does this changeup appear to be going into the strike zone? Okay, yes or no? The answer is yes. Is it going into the outside part or the inside part uh, or the middle part? Um, not outside. Okay. So middle or inside, do I want to swing at it? Is it going to be high enough? Is it going to be like all these questions, they flow downhill in this like logical chart essentially in your brain. And so you finally say, yes, it's go time. We're going to swing at this pitch because I think it's going to be here. And now my swing goes and I'm going to put my barrel there. So certainly if you commit your swing too early, like you can't lay off certain stuff, but at the same time, your swing is a physical thing. It is not plate discipline. It's a part of plate discipline, but a small one because you could absolutely have a wonderful swing. You give Barry Bonds a swing to a 12-year-old, he's still going to wave at tons of pitches in the dirt and swing at pitches at his eyeballs, right? That's still going to happen. Whereas the opposite is true. If you gave a 12-year-old swing to Barry Bonds, he's still going to take pitches that are balls. And he's still only going to swing at pitches that are pitches he can drive, right? Right? I, I yeah, you could give you could I mean, give Barry Bonds anyone else's swing, he, and he, he would, would still, still he would still better. he would still have his own pitch recognition, his own experience, his own plate discipline. He just would have a little he'd be a little bit handicapped because his swing would hold him back a little bit, right? Yeah, he just wouldn't like, have the same discipline, success, right? Yeah, you can't you can't just say the plate discipline is your swing. It gives you more time, which gives you a little more room to make better decisions. But that's just part of it. You still have to be able to make good decisions, like. Why do some kids have terrible plate discipline? I don't know. I mean, you see, uh, I mean, you honestly, see lots of young players in the minor leagues that just like wave at all sorts of stuff, right? They get hit a ball a freaking mile. But it's not to say that it's their decision-making's poor and their pitch recognition is poor. It's definitely different with youth and, and pro guys that you're talking about because um, youth, I feel like youth players just don't see enough pitching period. I mean, I can even reference back to like our winter practices inside in Chicago. I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of like, we're flips, T work, machine work, but the, what they're getting the least is probably seeing somebody just throw over the top at them. Like they're, like they're being pitched to. Um, and that's, and that's not to say that they need someone to throw full on batting practice to them all the time, but I mean, we played, when I was younger, we played a lot of, like, park league lob. Well, you know, you go to the park, you play, you know, guys throwing over the top, lob ball, and see how far you can hit it, or wiffle ball. I mean, that those games, it's it's very 
like it's mimicking actual game. You're always seeing someone throw over the top. Now mm-hmm. we just don't do enough of it. Um, and to your point about the like a minor leaguer that's got a great swing, but he's waving at a lot of stuff. That's that. I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, somebody on uh, Periscope Murdoch says plate di- plate discipline comes down to confidence. Hundred um, percent. I mean, confidence. I mean, I don't think everything. you. I don't, I don't think, think it's can, all. I don't think it discipline. comes. Confidence doesn't make choices for you. I get that when you're confident, you'll maybe attack pitches better, and and you know being aggressive on either side of the ball is a good thing. But confidence doesn't make the decisions. No, that, but it's, I mean it, it'll definitely help. I know what he's talking about. For sure, about, agreed. Yeah, where it's the confidence of like maybe when you see a pitch that you think is a ball, you're not you're not going to panic that you're wrong necessarily. Oh, and, and I, I had a kid on my team last year. He was, a, he was afraid to swing the bat. I mean, he would walk a lot, but it's like, hey, dude, we need – we like we have runners on second and third and two outs. Like, I need you to swing. I don't want you to walk. Right. And he was just, like, afraid to swing and I think because I think he was afraid to strike out or if he swung, he'd – you know, like, it was – he was looking for such a perfect pitch that he was afraid to swing, essentially. So, I get that. Like, I get the where confidence comes in, but confidence isn't the – it's not the machine that's making these decisions of – why someone has like why Kevin Euclid was so good at identifying what he could swing at and what he couldn't and, and walking and all that stuff. Yeah. Patty says, uh, in response to you, Danny says the, the younger player will be light years ahead, light years better with bonds swing. Um, he said if a small part is underestimating it and I, I don't know if it's underestimating it. I just think that if you, if I'm teaching a kid who's got a, what I think is a really good mechanical swing, let's say he's got bonds swing. I can basically spend all my time with him just hitting instead of trying to correct all his flaws, which will in turn make him a better, a better hitter. Um, so I don't know if, I mean, putting a percentage, a small part, a big part, if he had, a I'm not advocating, I'm not advocating for like anything there. I'm just saying like, when you go to the major leagues, all those guys have really, really like world-class swings. That's what they are. They're major leaguers, Right. And to say Bonds' swing is so much better than everyone else is I just disagree. His swing is maybe 4% better than someone else's, a small percentage better than someone else's, but Barry Bonds, the hitter, is just better than everyone else. Yeah. And his I swing think, changed I mean, over the years, didn't it? It wasn't the same swing for his whole 20-year career, was it? And he was still pretty looks, darn good his whole, his whole way. Similar. He, he's okay. had – I mean, he had the same pretty much swing, I feel like, his whole career. His body changed, and that helped, definitely. Um, which might come down to more of a confidence thing because he always hit home runs. Not like he didn't hit home runs, but the, the ability to hit home runs with maybe a little, little bit less. Wow, we've effort. got a guess. Who is it? Asif. Nah. Asif coming on. Mm-hmm. So for those of you listening, uh, Asif was on our show about a month ago, and he's a, a former pro hitter. Um, he's a coach in in Cincinnati, and you were in the Twitter melee. How you doing, sir? He's just making a weird face. Don't come on this show. He's making a weird face and uh, not saying anything. But when he when he tunes in, we'll get him going. But another perspective I thought was good for today for uh, plate discipline. Can you hear us there, sir? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Awesome. Tell us about plate discipline because you had plate discipline. Tell us how much does the swing matter in your plate discipline? And I know this varies for obviously like a major leaguer versus a a kid. But tell us, give us, we want another opinion here. 
Um, in my opinion, I think your approach is going to have to matter quite a bit in plate discipline. You know, if you don't have an approach, if you don't put that as a focal point, then uh, what's going to end up happening is, you know, your your mind is going to be consumed with maybe the mechanics of the swing and, uh, you know, as far as pitch recognition and all that kind of stuff, it kind of gets thrown out the window when you don't have an actual approach about what you're going to do with the ball. You know, I mean – um, if you're dead set on yanking a ball down the line, your plate discipline is not going to be really the greatest just because you're thinking that, hey, I can hit every single pitch down the line. Yeah, you know? right. It's you're like the every, the every, or when you're a hammer, everything becomes a nail, that kind of thing. Like you, you think yeah. you can pull everything. And so you just, you yeah. try to. Yeah. So, so, ask, yeah. so what, if, what if you change the phrase plate discipline to confidence and what you're talking about? Is it, you still, like, is it, is it all confidence? Is it not, you know, do you feel like it's 90% confidence? Why are you asking that question? Because I mean, I'm, I'm being damned now. It's, it's important to have the confidence and it's, uh, you know, one of the things that I always kind of discuss with, uh, with my players is just, you know, you either build confidence through results or you have it, uh, you know, inherently, you know, you already have it to where it's like, I know that I'm going to be better than this guy 100% of the time. Or, or it's kind of like one of those situations where, you know, you're not going to have confidence until you go two for three in a game or, or something like that, you know? So um, as far as the confidence goes and as far as how much of a factor it plays into it, it, yeah, it absolutely does. But um, I think it's also a matter of how you got there in the first place. You know, how did you gain that confidence? Was it through, was it through results or was it through the fact that you knew you worked really hard in the off season to where every single time you get up to the plate, you knew that you, you know that you're going to succeed. It's obviously through somebody else telling me outside so, sources. So let's talk more about good. let's talk more about plate discipline as I cut Bobby off. Um, how do you build it? I mean, I, there was a really good comment on YouTube that uh, like being really overly aggressive is also difficult because you have to. So I, I wrote an article I don't know, like a year or two ago about should you swing at the first pitch, and this was partly in response to one of my coaches uh, for our academy teams a couple of years back was one of one of the kids, not the coach. One of, the, one of the players was like, hey, he keeps throwing first pitch fastballs. Guys, you got to go up there, be ready to swing on the first pitch. And I'm like, no, be, re be ready to swing on any pitch. Get your pitch. It doesn't matter if it's the first pitch. It doesn't matter if he's throwing first pitch fastballs. It needs to be your pitch. If you can drive it on the first pitch, great, swing at it. If you can't, don't. If you don't get one to drive, don't. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. what's the balance between like, I don't, I hate that hyper aggressively. Like, oh, he's throwing first pitch. Let's jump on him. First pitch. Like, well, what if you get a pitch on the outer third first pitch? You just ground it out or an adult play a like, good job. Like that's um, what he wanted you to do. Every, everybody's going to be different in, in regards to that. Like in regards to that, uh, that plate discipline, um, as far as what they feel comfortable with. Um, there were times where I felt comfortable swinging at the first pitch. And then there were times where I was like, I don't, I can't really, you know, I can't really read the release point as well. I need to see a pitch or something. In regards to the, um, the, like, I guess maybe a hitter by hitter basis, it's going to have to happen that that plate discipline is going to have to happen through the reps that you get and what you're comfortable hitting. Um, if you are, if, if you're comfortable hitting certain pitches, um, with a certain approach, then that's what you look for. If you're not comfortable with it, then you don't need, you don't really want to deviate from that, um, 
from your comfort zone unless it's a situation where maybe you know maybe you got to get a guy over or uh, you yeah. know late in the game infield's back or you know or, I'm sorry late in the game infield's in you got to hit a sack fly and maybe it's a pitch that you know that uh, you're not comfortable driving a gap but you can't hit a sack fly on it or something like that you know so it's it, it, it that's that's where kind of the knowledge of the game really has to come into play um, to determine what your discipline is like. Um, I, knowledge, I do of, that, knowledge of self. So for a guy like you who right. can only hit singles the opposite way, like you can't <laughs> swing at anything but out of third fastballs, right? It's right, not your yeah, game yeah. plan. Yeah, that was, that was pretty much what I had to do is hit, yeah. hit a single the other way and then clog the bases because I couldn't run very well. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I honestly, I, Dan asked like towards the end too, he's like, how do you develop that? I, th- I just think the kids don't play baseball enough. Like younger right. players don't play baseball enough. I mean, I can th- hear my, my example that I would use from my experience working with kids now is we have two twins who are 11 and their swings are not what I would consider like Barry Bonds. Like they don't have perfectly. Oh, you really? Know, you have, you have 12 year old kids who don't have Barry Bonds to swing. Weird. 11, Dan, they're <laughs> you know, 11. What are you but, doing? You're not. Yeah, you're, a, you're a trash coach. Why are you on this yeah. podcast? But they, what the what they uh, what they have is their dad throws them bucket after bucket of just live batting practice, and it's not like he's trying to blow them away. He's just they don't spend as much time off the tee or doing like flips, like underhand. He just throws to them all the time. And if they take a pitch and he thinks it's a strike, he's like, "Hey, that's a strike. You need to try and hit that pitch." Or if they swing at a ball and he's like, "Hey, that's like he corrects them." He's not doing anything that any other dad can't do. He's just giving them more and more reps. And I feel like the reps that they're getting are probably what we got as kids going to the park playing wiffle ball or whatever we did as younger players. He's just giving them more than all the other kids are getting. It's just not – I mean, I don't think it's a secret on how you become good at something like something well, like which hitting. Which book – it was one of like – you know, there in the last like four years, there were a bunch of books that all sort of like blurred together for me, like The Champion's Mind – like the talent code, you know what I mean? Like there were a bunch of those books that kind of like trying to explain like why, you know, talent is overrated was another one. I like why some performers become as good as they are. And and they mentioned baseball and they said basically like the reason Albert Pujols was so good is because he had this book that he'd seen like hundred thousand sliders in his career, a hundred thousand fastballs. So when you get him into the major leagues, 10 years deep, he just, he's seen everything that you could possibly throw. So his brain is way faster picking out, oh, ball, like, oh, ball, slider. Nope, that's not a strike. I can't hit that. Like he just, he's lightning faster because he's processed that many, you know, just like anything else. Like a, like if you're a grocery store clerk, you know, on the first day bagging groceries, it's going to be slower than like, you know, third year, you're just like flying them through because you just, you get it down. It's like anything else, right? It's a, good, guy, it's a good analogy. The, the guy at the groceries. grocery store, just the king of bagging. But it, no, but all serious. Have you, I mean, have you ever, you ever shop at Aldi, the little grocery store? Yes. Yeah. Very underrated. They are so fast at bagging groceries. They're so much better than everyone else. It's not even, <laughs> not even funny. But Clark, uh, Zach Clark is on our on the Periscope right now. He said, um, "Swing at the first pitch is the approach equivalent of swing down mechanically." He says there's better ways to word it. Be ready, quote unquote, would be a better way to word it. Well, uh, again, like Mike Trout has had a really interesting stat that. Like when he, when he swung at the first pitch, he hit like 650 because he was only swinging at the first pitch when it was like right down the middle, like when he got his pitch. And right. basically just, you know, like a pitcher's like mentally 
you know, oh, let's get the about started. Boop. And then you just bam. Well, that's like right? a, but that's a stat that someone will misconstrue, right? It's like, look, the best hitter in yeah, baseball exactly. hits 650. Exactly. But he doesn't swing at every first pitch. It's because he swings, he swings at, the at these first pitches. Yeah, yeah he swings, swings at the ones that it would fit into a grapefruit in the middle of the zone that he can smash. And, and that was so good yeah. because he played a lot of baseball probably in New Jersey. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things as far as like the, the lack of reps with baseball is, you know, maybe because, uh, you know, there's, there's that, uh, that ongoing uh, discussion about, oh, maybe the kids play too, ma- too many games. You know, they're playing year round and that kind of stuff. It's a, I honestly think that, uh, you know, and obviously you can't really do it right now, but, but kids don't really watch baseball, you know. Um, I mean, I'm here in Cincinnati. And I, uh, and Luis Castillo, he's, you know, he's best pitcher on the Reds and like half the kids that I, that I talk to don't even know who he, who he is. I'm like, how do you not know the best pitcher in your hometown? You know? And so, uh, watching baseball helped me a lot as far as understanding some of the, you know, some of the situation, understanding some of the, uh, you know, I guess maybe some of the mannerisms and some of the things that, uh, that the, the, the best of the best did to where, you know, I would try to apply it myself at times, you know, uh, was my skill level at the same level as those guys? Absolutely not. But, um, but I was able to go ahead and understand some of those things and some of those concepts to where it would work at different, uh, different scenarios and different times of the game. And the more and more reps I got, the more successful I got with those, uh, with those approaches. Yeah. I mean, it's well, a also helps. Yeah. And it's not uh, just yeah. watching. It's, you have to know what you're watching for too. Yeah. And baseball oh, yeah. is a really confusing game where if you don't know, like, for example, like every year we would talk with our catchers about how the best catchers in the big leagues were as they give the target, as the pitcher goes into his windup, they put their glove down or on the ground sometimes. So now they're at the bottom and they can come up through it and stop it, right? That's something yeah. that catchers have gotten remarkably good at in the last five years because, you know, this revolution on pitch framing, they realized how important that was. So, but if you watch a game – you'll never notice that. Like you just won't. As the average fan, you just won't ever notice that, that they do that. It's, such a, yeah. it's, just, it's like in plain sight, but until someone points it out and you're a catcher that actually cares, you, you just would never think about it because you know, the, the mitt's there. You see the mitt probably. Then the pitcher's doing his thing. The hitter's getting ready. You're excited for like the ball-back collision. It just, it's, it's like hiding in plain sight. And so much of the game is like that where unless someone points it out, hey, watch what the – or like watch where – so I'm, I'm writing – about pitching um and i've been talking about middle halves thirds and corners which i i I preach like this boring talking head to all the pitchers Uh, if you watch a game you'll if you really watch where the catcher sets up you'll realize that catchers don't set up on the corners like splitting the black nearly as much as youth pitchers do catchers most of the time are inner half inner third outer half outer third they're much more on the way of the plate than people realize it's also just another thing that's hiding in plain sight that people don't they're watching baseball, but they don't see that because why would they pay attention to it? But if you look at big league catchers, that's a really important thing. They're not on the black of the plate nearly as much as people think they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they just don't, like, yeah, you're talking about the glove coming up. Well, that was the just an example. Watch, we don't have to no, be no, I know. Hitting, I know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to that. Like, we, we played a catcher who was down on, like, one knee, and he looked very much like uh, Wilson Contreras or someone that's, like, got that like new you know nobody on base he's got that like that, you know I don't know if it's a new stance it's a more probably a more comfortable stance for a catcher mm-hmm. one knee on the ground one leg like split out wide yeah and I'm watching him I'm like okay like 
I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily teach it or, you know, preach that, but at least he's watching like the kids, he's trying to mimic somebody who's really good at the sport, Mm -hmm. which is half the battle is getting them to watch the sport. I think watching the sport helps a lot with like, just to see what happens when the ball's put in play. Maybe, I don't know how much it'll help with plate discipline and stuff like that. Obviously it'll help overall baseball, but there needs to be just, they're not playing enough. I, I disagree that kids are playing too much baseball. Like you're not playing enough kids that play basketball, play basketball every day. Like you don't, that's, you just do it. Like kids that play hockey are on the ice every single day. You know, there's no reason. I know people are watching out for kids arms, but wiffle ball doesn't hurt your arm. Tennis I, I think that's where the main, the, the main uh, qualm with that it come, comes about is that, you know, you see a lot of these, a lot of these southern teams that go ahead and they play in you know in the middle of December and that kind of stuff and and I mean you know with us in the Midwest we can't really we don't really have that luxury to do that but I I mean I'm I'm a believer that the kids really don't play enough games either or or they don't really practice enough the of those those little things those little nuances that we uh, that we grew up understanding to an extent but. They're, you know, they're, you know, we're kind of in that that Instagram culture where everybody's wanting to be the next guy that goes viral for a bat flip, rather than, you know, the next guy that, you know, that saves a game by backing up a base. And I, I know that sounds very like um, get off my lawn, but mm-hmm. but it's, it, you know, it's it's something that you know that quite honestly, it, you know, it's it is an important part of the game and. Um, and, and as these kids go on and they go on to the next level, whether, whether it's college or pro ball. Um, a lot of times the coaches uh, come back saying like, this kid doesn't know how to play baseball. You know, he can hit a ball really far. He can, he, he throws gas, but like he, he doesn't have a clue as to what's going on during the game. Yeah, so, yeah. I got a great, let me, let me share this and then we'll get back onto that topic. So thank you. Um, I don't know your name, but championship hitting on Twitter. So he tweeted um, this article from 2014 in collegiate baseball about Barry Bonds called the baseball vision of Barry Bonds. And doctor, it's about quotes from Dr. Bill Harrison, who is the, the most renowned visual performance specialist the game of baseball has ever witnessed. So this is uh, Bill Harrison's quote on Bonds. In testing thousands of major league hitters, Barry Bonds, and this is back in 1986, Barry Bonds tested out with the highest vision readings of any baseball player we'd ever worked with. I first saw him in 1986 during spring training out of A-ball when he was not considered a legitimate major league prospect for the Pirates at that time. When I tested Barry Bonds, I gathered all the information on him and left the room. Barry's the only player who had achieved 100% in each of those categories and subsequently received 100% in terms of high-level binocularity. Bonds was the most visually gifted of all the players I'd evaluated since 1971, which was 15 years at the time. I had never seen a baseball player as gifted visually and mentally as this guy. Beep. Thank you, so much. Thank, you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for the, uh, tweeting that article. Those um, are probably good traits to have. And look, and look, player. this still doesn't debunk anything. I, I, again, I'm not a hitting guy. I have no problem with what Rich teaches. Zero. I have zero problem. My just overall point was that there's more to some of these hitters. You can't just say, I need Barry Bonds to swing. Like Barry Bonds was gifted for so many reasons beyond just his swing. His swing was a tool. He was a, like a master carpenter, and his swing was one of his tools, but his vision and his, and his mindset were incredible. I mean, that's pretty, that's some expert testimony from a vision specialist. So thank you for, for sharing that. I think that's good information. I, people I, think realize. What, I, I think what Rich is trying to do right there is, I mean, you know, and he is trying to sell what he teaches in a, in a sense that, 
say, you know, trying to essentially like um, over, you know, I, I'm not going to say he is, he is uh, directly overlooking the other characteristics that makes Barry Bond or made Barry Bond such a great player, but he's trying to sell what he teaches, which he says replicates what Barry Bonds did. And I mean, it, you know, like that article shows, like Barry Bonds was going to be an elite level player even yeah. without that swing. You know, yeah. and, and, and uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, that if he had like, you know, if he had, you know, a, like a, a, like a 200 hitters swing that he was going to have the same success, but there were other factors that, that contributed to that, you know? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. But it's as a, as a, as someone who's teaching it, like obviously that's his style, right? He teaches a very bond style of hitting like mechanically he's, I agree with what his philosophy is that, look, you, I'm trying to give you what the best did. Like he's, I don't think he's discounting the fact that there's other players. I mean, we brought up old players, McCovey, um, Willie Stargell, all their guys on the podcast. I don't think we're discounting that those guys were good or successful and people have been successful without swing, just like Barry Bonds. But if you're looking for like an optimal way to swing, like in his mind, he's, he's, I mean, there's Barry no Bonds reason is the, yeah, there's no reason Bonds not to emulate Bonds' swing. That's right. not my, wasn't my point either. If that's like the cookie cookie cutter, I have no problem with that. Dude was amazing, but he was amazing for lots of reasons. Um, yeah, but uh, I think I think when 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 Rich goes into his discussions, and I mean I've had conversations over the last couple of days with with other people that you know I call, I kind of gave them the the link to the podcast and said, hey, watch this. Thanks, <laughs> In all honesty. I think that I teach some of the things that Rich um, that Rich explains. Also, I, I think I do. I'm not 100 percent sure because, to be honest, he's such a jerk about explaining it. Yeah, you know, I asked like, him to slow it down a little bit, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." And, and that's like, the thing. Okay. That's the that's the responsibility of an instructor is to be able to explain it to literally everybody because you're not going to be there all the time for them to go ahead and, and, you know, and text you or call you or something like that and say, Hey, what do I need to do? You may need to have your dad or, you know, or, or somebody else be able to explain it to you to where your dad can understand it as well. Mm -hmm. And he can read the information also. I mean, you know, the terminology that he uses and everything like that, it's, you know, the, like, I, I'm not sure he's like the, the, the snap and coil or that kind of stuff. Like, that might be something that that other people can pick up on, but the fact that he literally wants to only use his terminology and he only wants to go ahead and uh, give credit to the instructors that he that he helped or that he kind of uh, mentored, that's where the problem lies because he may actually, I mean, he might be onto something, but to be honest, I don't want to know if I'm teaching the same thing as him because he, he's too much of a jerk. You know, I mean, like, I, I really don't care to go ahead and have a conversation with him about yeah. hitting because of the fact that he's he's so arrogant and so like one sided about the way that he teaches that it's not really going to go ahead and uh, and 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 help. And I mean, to be honest, if, if he's if he is the 100 percent like the, the top instructor in the country or ever and if he's got this breakthrough, you know, revelation with the way that he teaches, he's not helping by only saying things to you like, oh, well, I, I can't help you if you can't see it, you know? Yeah. Well, like, help, 
that was my it. thing. Like, I was trying to help people understand it, but let's get away from him because that's boring. Um, <laughs> so one of our, we're kind of going back to like the hand-eye coordination, the hitting. So if I alerted some of my former players that play for you, I think one of them, Colton's listening right now as they're driving, but oh, nice. um, he was a great example. So this kid, so if you're a recruiter out there, look for Colton Teal and Tyler Adkins, two of my guys who play for us. If they're very excellent humans and excellent ball players. But Colton was one of my guys last year who we, and this was me doing my rudimentary hitting work, but like seeing flaws in his swing that we wanted to get worked out for the long term because he's incredibly gifted baseball IQ wise, he's a gifted athlete, and he can get the barrel to the ball even if you made him a swing left handed. Like he could just go up there and find barrel. Like that's like his thing, right? And so you start to wonder how does he have that quality? Because if you had taken all the kids on my team last year and it was a good team, he was like the number one where he could just find a way to, to get barrel. Whether he was fooled or not fooled, he could like hit the ball hard. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, where does that, so I guess my question for both of you is where does that come from? Why, I mean, is it just hand-eye coordination that they're born with? Is it just the vision stuff that Bonds had? Is it, is it seeing a ton of pitches? Cause your dad throws a lot of BP and his dad does throw a lot of BP to him. I mean, they're a family that practices I, their I faces off, but it's a combination of all of that kind of stuff. I mean, cause you know, um, if you, you know, the Dominican teammates that, that we had, uh, you know, when we played, they, well, I forget what the game was called, but um, when they threw bottle caps with a stick, you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what the name and of some it is. And fl- hit sunflower seeds with a stick too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, that, you know, that's kind of, I mean, obviously hand-eye coordination develops through that, you know. Um, when, when I was younger, I used to take like, uh, you know, one of those the, those thunder sticks and my brother would throw me uh, throw me golf wiffle balls. And so, you know, that like hand-eye coordination can develop through that. Right. Um, along with, you know, along with your plate discipline as far as, you know, and as far as the vision and understanding of pitches and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's where, uh, that's where I do think some of that comes from. Uh, and then, you know, some of it is also genetics, you know, I mean, and that, and that's something that uh, I don't necessarily like to put, put a huge stock into that, but it is, it is a factor. But I try to go ahead and stay away from b- making that a big deal because uh, I think at times, you know, if you make it a bigger deal than it is, people kind of lose motivation to go ahead and get better. Oh, great. It's, say, like well, telling, it's like telling someone, oh, you're so smart. You got like great job on this essay. You're so smart. So I'm like, oh, you yeah. worked really hard on that essay. You know, yeah. that, like that's I think it's a parenting thing. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, yeah, but it also is. Just, it also just is a quality. Like, again, like we are on him, it wasn't like, Hey, good job. It was, Hey, we got to keep working on your swing. Like you're really good at getting the barrel of the ball. Like we know that, but we, you got to continue to work hard and get better and improve your swing. Cause there will become times when guys have velocity or a dirty slider that you're not going to be able to be on your front foot on or whatever. Like you're going to have to have that higher quality swing. And, and he's, I know he's probably gotten there right now. So um, well, the, the Dominican, uh, when you're talking about Dominican, like Latin countries in general, you know, I've heard scouts say that, those guys are two years ahead of American guys physically. So like a 12 year old Dominican kid is physically mature as like a 14 or 15 year old American kid, just for whatever reason. This is where you could make a birth, a birth uh, certificate joke. But no, no, no. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Cause they've taken so many ground balls. I mean, you well, watch I mean, little kids like well, these, physically, done- like physically developed, like these kids look like men when they're a lot younger than maybe American kids do. But 
I think I their th baseball development is even further along. I think they're three, four years ahead baseball development-wise. And, Dan, you made this point before. Like, a 10-year-old uh, kid who lives in a Dominican has probably taken five to ten so times many, more so ground balls yeah. than a 10-year-old than a in, the, in the U.S. And you can't – you almost can't recover – like, and, unless you're playing all the time, we just don't play enough. Like, kids do not play enough baseball. If they're trying to be really, really good at it, like, you you just – you go from basketball practice to floor hockey to your baseball team, and maybe you play a travel sport. Like, these kids are obviously stretched so thin, and then parents wonder, like, why isn't he the best at baseball? He plays on a travel team. Or why isn't he really good at basketball? Like, he plays on a travel team. Well, the kid's doing a million things. Like, they can only be so good at so many things when their time is stretched so thin. Like, if you don't what? let the kid study for tests, he's not going to be as smart as he could be if you let him just study for for the test, like, as much as possible. Well, so your point about the, the Dominican players being physically more developed, I think that's just because the pool of them is much smaller and they're essentially naturally selected for not any genetic sense. I'm just saying, like, Every kid on the in the island tries to play baseball, right? right? So if you're a smaller kid, you ain't making the team. You're not going to get into the academy. So basically, the kids that get in these academies, and now they're in this program to be trained, right? Like the, the trainers train them and are going to take like a forty percent cut of their signing bonus in the future if they get signed. Eighty percent. Like to get to to get into one of those academies, you got to be the best of the best on an island where everyone plays, and everyone is fiercely competitive and practicing their faces off. So I think when, when you see like every Dominican kid you've ever seen in the U.S. is like physically bigger than their counterpart U.S. kid, I think it's really just because you, you only make it that far if you were like the most physical from every young age, essentially. Does that make sense? So here's, so here's a good I mean, example. That's like, what like selected for. Absolutely. Here's a, so when I played in the Czech Republic, you were either, if you weren't a soccer player, you went to hockey or maybe vice versa. I think hockey was their, their national sport, number one sport. So everybody tried to play hockey when they're younger. And if you didn't make the cut to be on that club team, like whatever their pro, whatever their highest level was, they had the, that's how European sports work. Whatever the high pro team is, like let's say the Cubs, the Cubs had a youth all the way down to youth baseball and they were identifying kids young. If you didn't make that program, then you went to soccer. And if you didn't make the soccer program, then you either try to play basketball or baseball so in the Czech, when I played baseball, it's like the kids just weren't – kids, adults, however old they were, they just weren't athletically the same as what I was used to here. Yeah, it's because the they, all their best effect, athletes yeah. mm -hmm. are playing soccer and hockey. Like they, they didn't do both. If you were an amazing hockey player, you didn't also try and play baseball. Like you just only played hockey. And it's different, what? obviously, in the U.S., but what you're talking about with like the Dominican kids or Puerto Rican kids or – they only focus on one. The U.S. is one of the, I feel like, the few countries where it's preached to do multiple things. You'd go anywhere else. It's one sport, and you yeah. just go with it. Yeah, well, and I think the way to think about it is, like, imagine if kids in Rhode Island, for example, there are only, like, five teams you could play for in Rhode Island. Because Rhode Island, I'm using Rhode Island as an example because it's small, right? Imagine if there are only five baseball teams you could make in this whole state of Rhode Island. And you couldn't leave to go in other states. So if you're born in Rhode Island, you had to play Rhode Island baseball. Only five teams. So what are those kids going to look like? They're going to be the best of the best of a whole dang state, right? And so then they go play some tournaments, and you're going to be like, dang, those Rhode Island kids are huge. 
those Rhode Island kids hit bombs because it's like the best 60 kids in the whole state. Right. And I think that's kind of the effect with, with Dominican and some of these other places where they're just such fierce competition. You're getting cut if you're not the one of the best and you're training so much. I think that's just how it would be. But like you said, that's not a thing here. So you're just going to have a huge variance between the quality of players, right? You see like a Texas, a Texas all-star team. Those kids are big, but they're not really going to be bigger than an all-star team from New Jersey. You know, if they're the same caliber, like they're not like humans are humans everywhere. They're just, there's, it's just like with my small town of Bloomington, Illinois that I used to live in. There were some kids who were as big and physical as the kids in Chicago, but in Chicago, there's just more of them because it's 8 million people, right? Just concentration of talent and you get cut if you're not as good. So anyway, um, Asif, Asif, how do you coach kids out of slumps and how does play discipline fall into that conversation? Because confidence is a big one, obviously, but what do you feel like most slumps are attributed to when they get really bad? Um, you know, that's actually, that's a good question. I know I'm a great moderator. I'm a great moderator. <laughs> a great moderator. Do, no agenda slump- at all. <laughs> How do slumps start? I mean, I, th- I think slumps start from, uh, probably, you know, at, at times it's probably a lack of focus on some of the things that, uh, that make somebody successful. Um, it could be, uh, you know, it could be just a, I mean, sometimes it's dumb luck, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody, sometimes, um, you know, guys tend to make adjustments when they're doing the right thing already. Like, you know, if somebody goes ahead and lines out twice and then strikes out or something, well, you know, you had two successful looking at bats, but because we're in a, uh, we're in a result oriented time when it comes to games and stuff. It still looks like it still says over three under your, uh, you know, under your uh, in the yeah. box score, and so then kids, you know, then kids will kind of overthink it, and they start to, um, and then they start to kind of try to make adjustments, saying, "I went over three yesterday, um, and I struck out." Well, yeah, but you forgot that you lined out in those two, those two uh, other at bats. You know, um, I, actually, the the other day, Colton, if you're if you're still listening. Colton hit a ball down the right field line that was for sure a triple, like guaranteed triple. And the right fielder was, for some stupid reason, playing on the right field line. This was in the first inning. First <laughs> inning of a game against a team a that we against, – Yeah, against a team we've never played against. And Colton ropes this ball down the right field line. And I'm like, all right, for sure triple right here because the kid flies. And the kid the, – the, it's not like the, the right fielder extended out or anything. Like he was, yeah, it was exactly what what you just did. And, and I got so mad at the situation. I like, like part of me was like, going to call timeout and be like, no, we're redoing that play. (laughs) Get back over to where you're supposed to play and we're redoing that thing, you know? And so, but, and, 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 you know, times, times like that happen where kids, they see that and then they see the immediate, they they see a result. They don't see like what, you know, the, the process that took, that got to that result. Um, and then, you know, there are times where kids, um, kids try harder at the wrong thing, you know, like maybe, you know, the, the slumps kind of accumulate because kids keep on trying harder at the wrong thing rather than taking a step back and saying, Hey, maybe you should make a little bit of an adjustment right here. And, and then go ahead and approach that way instead of continuing to try harder and harder and harder without understanding Hey, you're literally, you're doing something wrong here 
from a mechanical standpoint or maybe an approach standpoint, whatever it is. And that's what you need to adjust rather than just try harder, just try harder. Cause you know, I yeah. mean, that's something that we always preach is like, Hey, give a hundred percent, give a hundred percent at all times. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you want to give a hundred percent, but give a hundred percent of the right thing. You know? Yeah, definitely. And so, so I, I think you just have to instill, especially it depends on the situation. Like if you're working with a kid and it's mid game and he's like totally slumping, like, you know, he's, you know, he's out of it. You're just trying to pump him up with confidence, pump him up with confidence, like psych yourself up. But if it's like, I actually have a, a one-on-one this morning with a kid who's, uh, his parents reach out and like, he's really struggling. I mean, I know what's going to happen when I go there, unless he's doing something glaringly, you know, mechanically wrong. I'm going to still try and pump him up with confidence and just try and like get him out of his own head and just, okay, like let's perform the task, perform the task, you know, line drive, line drive, and just kind of get him to feel like he's good at hitting again instead of being like in that mindset of, I just, I stink, which is, I mean, we've all been there. Like I been there a bunch of times, just you don't stink, especially if you get to a high level of professional baseball, like you definitely don't stink at the game, but telling yourself that and looking at the box score, it's like you're just reinforcing uh, I, maybe I do stink. I'm over four. I'm over my last 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to transition and this will be an interesting discussion. I'm sure. Although I kind of look like crushed it with some good stats, but let me read this tweet, which uh, this is from Eric Sims account. I like Eric Sim. He's like funny. I don't follow him, but I've seen people retweet his stuff. He, uh, his, his thing, or this is from at King of Juco, but that's one of his accounts. King of anyway, Juco, right? Yeah. Um, he's a former pro guy. He like tweets some funny stuff in general. His message is like Juco is good. Like don't trash Juco, whatever. I like his message anyway. Um, he tweeted the year is 2020, a D3 guy got drafted in the third round, 79th overall this year. And I didn't see one player get drafted from the bottom 50 RPI D1 school. So if you don't know what RPI is, that's like the rating of your, um, the strength of schedule. And he said, it simply matters less what school you go to and matters more how you develop in that school. So sounds nice before I get to how I reply to it. Um, and my thoughts on it, what are your guys thoughts on that, that sentiment? So basically saying a D three guy got drafted really high, low D one guys didn't get drafted this year. Uh, it doesn't matter where you go. It only matters how you develop. Asif go. Um, well, I, I cheated cause I already saw your reply to it mm. and everything. I, and it was I, a great I, reply, wasn't it? Well, 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 I agree. I mean, like the, the fact is that like that. Let Bobby go then. Bobby. Yeah, Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bobby hasn't commented yet. So, I think I did read your comment also. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but Dang it. I, I think there needs to be context, right? Like D three kids. So my former division one head coach, it coaches a very, very well-known Division three in Chicagoland area, North Central College. And he had two kids on the radar to be drafted. One was his catcher and one was, was his closer. Um, I think the majority of high-level hitters that are going to get drafted are coming from Division one because they're seeing the pitching. I think it's very hard to become a Division three hitter that gets drafted high. Maybe not overall because he had a kid two years ago, his third baseman got drafted in the 20-something round, which is good, which is it's unbelievable to get drafted in general. But I think it's hard to justify taking like a, a shortstop from a Division three school 
even if he fits the bill, he's 6'2", 200 pounds, like runs, he's the fastest kid in the, you know, in the state. He doesn't see that pitching every day. So if you're watching him and you're a scout, like it doesn't necessarily translate to professional baseball of seeing 92 to 94 from a starter every day where that kid might've only seen it once all summer long or all spring. So I think division three is great. There's definitely talented kids. There's no doubt there's kids that deserve to play professional baseball or even division one baseball, but it's a lot easier if you're a, if you're a pitcher or in this case, I guess catchers because catching defense um, translates at all levels where hitting is very hard and, to dictate. And pitching velocity. Yeah. Pitching velocity transfer uh, is relative, you know, across the board. I don't know how I don't know how you would evaluate a hitter who's not seeing the type of pitching he's going to see. Yeah, that's I think definitely the the thing. Asif, what do you got? That I mean, that is pretty much going to build off of what he what Bobby just said. It's I mean, yeah, like you can get a pitcher that's throwing you know that's throwing like ninety four ninety six at pretty much any level, and you know that there's a good shot that he's going to get picked up. You know, um, but a shortstop hitting four hundred in D three is not going to get the same recognition as a shortstop hitting 290 in the SEC. You know, I mean, and that's the, that's the, that's the, the cold-hearted truth. Now, could that shortstop hitting 400 be, you know, you kind of have to look at the context of it as well. I mean, is that shortstop hitting 400 just absolutely obliterating baseballs to where you can tell that this guy is just, He's a man amongst boys, and the D1 schools completely missed on this guy. Then at that time, you know, I'm sure that it, you know, I'm sure that uh, you know, uh, the pro scouts will kind of look at that and say, "Yeah, you know what? This guy is somebody that that schools missed on, and we need to take a chance on him. We need to go ahead and pick him up." But it's really few and far between as far as that goes. And just and you know, kind of to reiterate with the catchers, I mean, uh, catching defense is such a premium. You know, I mean, you've got to if you yeah. have a catcher that. That can control the running game. That can manage a pitching staff, and um, and you know, and if he hits two forty in, in pro ball, then you're like, hey, this guy's going to have a career, you know. But uh, but if you got, you know, if if it's just a, I, I very rarely will see a high hitting catcher at, at Division three that's going to get picked up if he's not a, you know, if he's not just a supreme defender, you know. Yes. It's it's hard to go ahead and say because. You know, you're like, hey, this guy's dominating the Division three level as a catcher from offensive stand from offensive numbers, but he's not that great of a defender. Can we move him into a corner position? Well, if he's a corner guy, then his his offensive numbers need to be even better than what they were as a catcher at the D three level. So then they kind of get into that that tough spot right there. Um, I mean, yeah, and then I think there's the other stigma that Division three baseball is is more academic than anything else, you know, I mean, which is also very true, you know, so there's kind of this stereotype that, oh, they're not really playing against true baseball players, which is, you know, like I said, it's a stereotype. They're playing against more academic guys, and then, you know, then you kind of get into that, uh, that, whole, uh, that whole issue there as well. Yeah. It definitely just comes down to, to hitting. For position yeah. players at Division Three, you don't know how they're going to handle better pitching when they get there, and some of them might be able to. Like, there's, I have no doubt that there's Division Three position players that could absolutely bat three, four hole at an SEC school. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's odds are they're out there, but if without the proof, 
And if you're a scout, like definitely if you're a pro scout, you, you can't get that proof. Like there's no really no way. Like the kid almost has to show it in summer ball. Like he needs to go to the Cape or the Northwoods League and see that pitching and then, and then show everybody like, hey, I, I can do this, no problem. But even then, he's not gonna. He's gonna be the hard, hard sell to be anywhere in the top ten, the fifteen rounds. Like they're just gonna take a flyer on him late, and and that's great. Like hopefully that kid does get that chance late, but he's not gonna get the. He's not gonna get maybe what he deserves, even if he truly is talented enough, because he's not seeing the pitching. He's just not seeing. Yeah. The- well, and if you had ten comparable players, so you say you're a D three pitcher and you're eighty nine to ninety two, they could take you know. 10 D1 pitchers who are 89 to 92, which, you know, which, which are you going to take? Yeah, like if right. you're all comparable in stuff, those guys all face way better way better hitters the whole year. So my point yeah. in this was not to pick on D3 because it's certainly not. Like D3, and the thing with college baseball is you don't get to choose. So like essentially, for the most part, the level that you end up at chooses you, right? It's not like, oh, I chose D3 when I could have gone D1. That happens. But usually when you're like maybe not offered a scholarship on D1 or a small one or you're a really academic kid and you're like, I'm going to go to this amazing school rather than, you know, go to a D1 that, you know, academically doesn't fit as much. There's a lot of reasons, but I think it's important. And the only reason I, I and this wasn't like a picking on anybody thread, it was just like that was a misleading thing because number one, to say like none of the bottom 50 RPI division kids got drafted this year, it's because there were five rounds. It wasn't normal. If there were 50 rounds, of course, kids were going to get drafted from all those schools, whatever they were. Like, you know, so it was, it was misleading in that sense. And then uh, if you look at, so I went and found NCAA numbers, and I did this a couple of years ago. I wrote an article that was talking about some of the same kind of stuff. But draft data from last year, 2019, where they had a normal draft, there were 1,217 draft picks, 791 from NCAA schools, and 686 were from D1. 10 were from D3. 10. 10 out of 1,200 draft picks total were from D3. That's less than 1%. So I think people just need to understand that. It's not picking on Division Three. What it's saying is that, and most of those 10 are pitchers and catchers. Almost all of them are pitchers and catchers. Back to what you guys both said, which is you can just qual- you can quantify it better, right? You throw 95, you're fine. Um, so people just need to understand, like, if, like when I was a kid, I wanted to play pro ball. That was my only goal. So it would have been bad advice for someone to say, hey, oh, go play D3 because it's not going to – it's just like effectively zero people get drafted from D3. So there's obviously some examples, but that's a very small amount. Yeah, so it's if definitely you're, possible, if, but – Yeah, you mostly if you're, if you're a pitcher or catcher. It's like one guy who's a position player gets drafted every year from D3. So if your goal out there is to be a pro ball player, like that is your goal, then you should, if you don't get D1 offers at a college or at a high school, then your route is probably go to junior college and then see how you develop and transfer. Asif, would you agree with that? Oh, uh, yeah, 100%. If, if that's your primary goal. If your primary goal is like, look, I, I just want to play college baseball. I want to find a great school that fits. Those are the most valid reasons. But if you're someone who's like, I want to go for broke and, and give it my best shot to turn pro at the end of four years, then D3, just by the numbers – you're 68 times less likely. I mean, they drafted 68. I got the number wrong when I um, tweeted that. I put 79, but 686 Division One drafts to 10 Division Three drafts last year. So yeah. there's outliers yeah. for sure, but you should just know, like, if this is your goal to be a pro ball player, D3 isn't the, isn't the best path. It's just like it's, like, it's the worst route up that mountain. And so the JUCO to then yeah. D1 route. 
Yeah, it's the hardest route. I mean, now, yeah. now if you're a pitcher, though, also, I mean, you, you know, it could be a little bit different for pitchers just simply because of the fact that, you know, that velocity is going to matter. You know, velocity matters when it comes to pitchers, and velocity is going to go ahead, and that's going to be a, uh, that's, I think that's a little bit more, you know, quantifiable when it comes to your, your perspective chances as a pro pitcher. Um, you know, and if you're, if you're, you know, I mean, there could be some of those, those late bloomers that, um, that the D ones, or maybe even some JUCOs are are looking at and saying, Hey, you know, um, this guy might, this guy might not be really good until his third year. Yeah. Um, but, but again, you know, it's, if if you're trying, if you're trying to play professional baseball and a D one's not looking at you. Um, and you're, you know, like you said, it's like you're going for broke right there. Yeah, the JUCO route is the route to go. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I sent a guy over to uh, to Wabash Valley, and uh, there were zero Division One schools looking at him at the time. Zero Division One schools looking at him, and they weren't even looking at him in the position. Or, I mean, and the schools that were recruiting him weren't even looking at him at the position that he played. He was an infielder, and he goes to Wabash Valley hardly played at all as a freshman. And then um, he wasn't even really projected to be in the starting lineup this past season when coronavirus hit and everything. And, but during the fall, you know, he, because well, part of it was because, because he was at Wabash Valley uh, during the fall, he got, I mean, he was getting offers left and right from division one schools and, you know, and, and he's, in my opinion, I think he, you know, if he has another year, like he was having this past season, He's got a chance to play professionally, and this was a guy that wasn't getting any looks whatsoever um, at the D1 level, and now he's going ahead and uh, and he's you know he's 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 going to go to USC Upstate, and I mean he had he had his kind of his pick of offers to go ahead and go through. So, yeah, I mean it's definitely too with Division three, um, you're going to have pitchers that are physically look the part, whereas you're not going to have as many position players that look the part like those supreme athletes. Like I've got a kid who's 6'6", 250 pitcher. He's a junior. Um, he's mainly a football player, but he wants to play baseball in college. Now like he kind of changed course and he's, he's probably projecting going division three, just he's like 80 to tops out of maybe 82, 83. Um, but physically like he looks like a big league pitcher. Like this kid is a monster. So if something clicks or maybe he's, you know, I'm not a pitching guy, but if his mechanics click or something like that happens where he starts, where his velocity upticks, doesn't matter what school he goes to, like, this kid looks the part. Whereas you're going to go to watch a Division three game and the, sh- the middle infielders, while they might be, you know, good glove work or something, they're not going to be physically imposing like some of these middle infielders that you're going to see at uh, powerhouse Division one schools where they're, you know, 6'2", 200 pounds, like they move really well, like the the best athletes are always going to find their way to to those division three or division one schools, whereas the division three schools are probably getting the most of their athletic ability, but their ceiling is just so much lower, um, just physically and and well, you, athletic. You talent. see that quickly, yeah. I went to I won't name the schools because my friends the coach at one of them, but I went to a it was two like state branded schools. So one of them it was University of Maryland. I watched them play. And they were playing a smaller state school, university of whatever. And the difference in the physicality between those two schools alone was very noticeable, very noticeable. I mean, Maryland, they were just big, 
Like you could see every single player, like their hamstrings bulging out against their baseball pants, just physically the completely higher level than the other division one team. And neither of these teams, I mean, the other team was not a slouch team, but just like when you get to the caliber of athletes and this was the same thing. I saw a game. I watched Mizzou play maybe like four years ago in Mizzou against a smaller division one. Like they, they weren't even like on the same planet. Just ath- like athletically, the way the kids were built. Yeah, I mean, and that doesn't bottom, mean Mizzou, that the- Mizzou's players were just like animals, and they had some kids who're like, "You're six seven, and you're running the bases that fast. What are you?" They like, sh- like people, like honestly, like the the people don't appreciate the level of athleticism had by these guys in like the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12, these big schools. These are the best athletes in the country, and that's why even if their shortstop hits 270 at, at you know at Vanderbilt or something this dude is a, is an is like an athlete of the caliber that you just don't find other places and they they want that as as pro teams so yeah that's a big thing i mean and there like i said there's big big noticeable differences even amongst t- tiers in D1 and then if you start comparing a big a big D1 school to a D2 or D3 which are not slouches and strength training is way farther ahead than it was years before there's still a big difference just in the way people are built and the way they move. Yeah. But point being, you can get drafted out of a D three. It's just much, much more difficult to do it. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, and the other thing, it, it's not a trend. Like there isn't a trend that more players in division three are getting drafted um, because like the 2019 numbers, they just don't suggest that because when I looked up this same stat for an article a while ago, like 2016, it was still like 12 Division three drafts that year. So it's not, it's not a trend that's changing, even though player development is improving across the board. Like there are for sure more Division three players who maybe they, they're 84 and their mechanics aren't that bad and they're not that physical. They go to college, they add five miles per hour because their mechanics get you know, cleaned up and their coaches are great and they hit a growth spurt and they get in the weight room. They add another five miles per hour. Now that 84 kid's throwing 94, that's not an unreasonable thing to happen that can definitely happen right. but division three programs also don't usually have a full-time strength and conditioning coach they only get like 10 practices in the fall so they play less baseball um and then the other thing is even though player development is better where you could certainly like be on your own program and do all this other stuff as a juco d3 naia whatever lower tier school um division ones all have that same stuff and and more they have more money they have more resources so this whole trend of player development anyone can get better training but the thing I said in one of my tweets is like, this is a high tide that's raising all ships. Like D3 yeah. players are throwing harder than ever. More 84 guys are throwing 88, but now more division guys, one guys who threw 88 are throwing 92. Like the, the bar has just been pushed higher for everyone. Yeah. So definitely. it's not like the they're catching behind, up. I think the theory behind, or not, not necessarily the theory, but I think the motive behind people saying that kind of stuff about like, Hey, you know, you can get drafted at any level or whatever it is is that there's this uh, there's this kind of like notion that or I mean I, there, there's like this this thing that's going on where kids are saying well if I'm not going to go D1 I'm not going to play college baseball you know yeah, if that's, that's nice. the case if that's the case then you shouldn't th- then just stop playing altogether you know because because yeah because I mean what they're trying to do they're trying to sell all levels of baseball because all levels of baseball at the next at, you know in college baseball are are going to be competitive but you know, you can't go ahead and get into this notion that, oh, well, it's, you know, uh, it, it's D1 or bust and, uh, and you know, and I'm going to be, 
and I'm not going to play college baseball if I'm not playing D1. That's, I mean, right. I think that in that opinion, you're, you're, you're selling the other levels short and you're also being really, really short-sighted about, you know, maybe your ceiling as well, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good well, discussion. And again, don't, those of you listening, this is not to poo-poo on any level of college baseball. You should find the school that's the right fit for you, but you should also have all the facts, right? So if, if, if your goal is to be a pro player, there's a path that's going to be better for you or not as good for you. If your goal is to be a happy college student and play college baseball, your path is going to be different from that. You should just know all these things. And when you hear, I think people glaze over this, this, this stat a little bit on the web. All the recruiting stuff is very, you know, find your best fit. Well, it's like you should know what your future holds. It's, it's like if you're hoping to go to D3 and then maybe get drafted one day, your eyes need to be opened a little bit. That was, I think, my biggest point. And mm -hmm. because you don't want to make a decision that you're like, man, I really want to give myself a chance. And then you make a decision that's not right for you. So it has nothing to do with like your self-worth or any of that stuff. I mean, playing D3 baseball is an awesome thing. Yeah. And you should, you know, if you're to play college baseball, it's such a special experience. It's a great four years of your life, maybe five year injury prone like me, you know, just, uh, so anyway, six years for the coronavirus kids. Oh, yeah, or just Zoom baseball. It's just I think hit tracks is the way to go now. Let's just not even go out to the field. Just <laughs> launch angle and dingers. Don't throw on the bases. I mean, what's better than that? It's like beer league. Just get a hit tracks. <laughs> like Babe Ruth days. Yeah. Tag out. Man. Well, guys, this was a great decision um, to have Asif on the show. Appreciate you jumping on impromptu. I just texted texted you as we were underway. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's worked out well. Um, Bobby, yeah. any, clo any closing thoughts before we send Asif off? No, I like Asif. He can come back whenever he wants. Okay, you've passed, Asif. Good job. Um, <laughs> Asif, how can, how can people follow up with you, for those who don't know you or meeting you for the first time? Uh, my Twitter account, I guess. Yeah, my, my Twitter account. I'm Asif, Shaw, Asif Shaw 1421. That's, okay. uh, that's kind of the, the, the best way, I guess, and everything. Um, you know, I think, I think, I think I've, I, you know, I'm still not really very, uh, very active as far as, uh, as far as big time hitting or pitching discussions. I've kind of, you know, I've kind of, you lurk, quiet. you lurk. I've kind of, yeah, I lurked my, and I kind of weaseled my way in the last couple of days, but I think I'll, I, you know, I might, I might, I might go back under the covers afterwards and everything. So, mm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, I, you know, who knows, but, but yeah, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, okay. you know, I'm and your summer, do you want to talk about the program that you coach for in the summer at all? You want to mention it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I coach with uh, with Five Star. Um, we are the the Midwest team, so we're based here, based out of here in Cincinnati, but we got kids from all over the area. Um, you know, I got, obviously, two of Dan's former players. Uh, I got a kid from Louisville, from ten Tennessee. Um, you know, we got kids from all over, and it's, uh, you know, it's a great organization. Really, really fortunate to be part of the, the five-star brand, the five-star organization. Their national team is obviously the top program in the country and, or, or, or one of the top summer organizations in the country. Um, really fortunate to be able to, uh, to kind of feed off of that and build off of that. It's something that uh, it's been a good experience. It's something that, uh, that we continue to, uh, to build off of. And Bobby and I are starting our own our own organization. Even more, it's going to be international, and it's going to be six star. 
20% more stars than Asif. So be sure to don't, don't call Asif, call us. More We're countries, only play, more stars. Yeah. We're only going to play in Asif, Asif's, uh, in Asif's tournaments. So whatever. Just trolling him. Just trolling him. Every time we beat you, we're going to put another star on our – we're going to just scratch it out the next day, eight stars, and you only get – you lose one. Yeah, but no, also does a great job. He's taking good care of uh, my guys, and he's a, a heck of a coach. So if you're out there looking for a team, I don't know if you're – you're clearly not one here looking for players, but I'm plugging you anyway. So <laughs> there you go. If you need a lot of stars in your life, all awesome. But – all right. Well, that's going to do it for today's morning brushback. Thanks for being here. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, leave us a review. And thank you for everyone in the comments today. We had another good discussion. Really appreciate it on YouTube and on Periscope. So appreciate you. We're going to have some guests next week and we'll see you then on the morning brushback. Thanks a lot, guys.